0: This is who you were. This is who he is. This is who you are now. This is your identity. Welcome back, Nexus Church Family Online, to our second week in our series in the book of Joel called Chosen. Today's title of the message is called The Great. Redeemer, the great redeemer. Now, I want to start with a question. Have you ever felt like you're not good enough? Whether it's for God or for others, or you just look at yourself and say, I'm just not good enough. Maybe things that you've done in the past are keeping you from being what you feel or thought that you could become. Now, If you're young, maybe this doesn't apply to you today, but what I want you to do is continue listening because someday this will be something that's extremely useful because there are very few people that I've ever known who don't run into this issue of feeling like what I've done disqualifies me from what I felt I wanted to be. When you start out in life, you have all these dreams, these aspirations of what you feel like you could do. And especially when maybe you get saved or come to Jesus at a later age in life. It's like, man, this is who I was and this is who I am now. And man, with God behind me, anything is possible. So you have these dreams, you have these aspirations And then reality sits in, and you realize that you're not all you thought you were. You've had some failures, you have a lot of letdowns. Maybe people let you down, and you had expectations of of what you and a group of people could do together, and it's not easy, right? And so, today we're going to be taking a look at the second chapter of Joel and look at how God. Reaches down even in the midst of destruction, and he can make right all the wrongs that have been done. Now, you might not change where your situation's at. Now, we look at uh, the story that we're about to read, and we're like, This is exactly how God wants to work in my life. It doesn't always work out the same, right? However, as we will see. Romans eight twenty eight says it perfectly. He works all things out for good. All those who are called and follow him. So though he might not change your situation or change your past, he can redeem it and make it for your good. For his kingdom's sake, for his name to be famous in all the earth. And so before I get ahead of myself, I want to take you to Joel chapter 2, and we will be reading a fair amount today, so buckle down. If you weren't with us last week, I I don't want to spend too much time on it, but God called out to his people, the Israelites, who had fallen away from him. And again, if you want to get the context of when this was written, go to 2 Kings 11, and you kind of get a picture of the time that Joel was written. Commentators agree that this was approximately the time when the book of Joel was written. You can see how horrible the people were. In Joel chapter 2, or 2 Kings chapter 11, we get a perfect example of how they were living. A a mom wipes out all of her children and tries to wipe out the grandchildren because her son had died. That was, I guess, for her, the, the son that she wanted to be in power. And when he couldn't be in power, she wanted to take over. And so she tries to kill everybody. She misses one. And so Joel is writing to that situation, that time frame when the land was totally corrupted, worshiping false idols, not the one true God. Uh, they weren't taking care of the poor, the widows, one another. They weren't being a light to the nations as God called the nation of Israel to be. And so he writes to them in Joel chapter one that they need to repent. Like I am sending again, whether it's an army or whether it's truly locust he sends four waves on them or is about to he's warning them this is what's going to happen this is what's going to happen be ready i'm going to desolate the land you will have nothing left but what were they supposed to do they were supposed to repent physically audibly so that the nation would know we have done wrong they're to get on their faces they're to fast they were to get rid of distractions they were to cry out to God together as an assembly of all people. And then we come today. Something quite didn't work out. The army or the locusts were already there. They were poised for destruction. It was in the middle of it. Whether it was the first wave, second wave, fourth wave, or whether they were about to attack, whatever the case was, destruction was imminent. We are in the middle of it. So Joel chapter 2, verse 1, blow the horn in Zion, that is Jerusalem, the city of David, the chosen city where God's presence dwelt in the temple. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the residents of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. In fact, it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and total darkness, like the dawn spreading over the mountains. A great and strong people appear, such as never existed in ages past and never will again in all the generations to come. A fire devours in front of them, and behind them a flame blazes. The land is in front of them, is like the Garden of Eden, but behind them it is like a desert wasteland. Right, again, remember he was talking about locusts before. Now it seems almost like he's talking about a country, right? But whatever the case. Whatever they were going to do to the land, it was going to be total annihilation. There is no escape from them. Their appearance is that of horses, and they gallop like war horses. They bound on the tops of the mountains. Their sound is like the sound of chariots, like the sound of fiery flames, consuming stubble, like a mighty army deployed for war. Nations writhe in horror before them. All faces turn pale. They attack as warriors attack they scale walls as men of war do each goes on his own path and they do not change their course they do not push each other each proceeds on his own path they dodge the arrows never stopping they storm the city they run on the wall they climb into houses they enter through windows like thieves the earth quakes before them the sky shakes the sun and moon grow dark And the stars cease their shining. The Lord makes his voice heard in the presence of his army. His camp is very large. Those who carry out his command are powerful. Indeed, the day of the Lord is terrible and dreadful. Who can endure it? Whoa. (laughs) There's a lot here. And I could spend quite a long time. And I will spare you the depth and breadth of this. This is God's doing on his land. Whether, again, it's a natural phenomenon sending waves of grasshoppers, locusts, as he says in chapter one, or this is an army. It seems like symbolism is going on here, maybe even going back and forth. Whatever the case is, God was doing this. He was at the front of this attack, causing it. You see that a lot in the Old Testament, where God is leading the charge in this destruction. Why? Because he had given people the opportunity to change, to turn back to him, and they didn't. And so this was to cause them to come back to him, to honor him, to be that light to the nations around them. He led the way. But yet, even on the brink of their destruction, though they were destined for this destruction and peril, listen to what God says. Even as they're on the walls, about to tear it down, sending battering rams and destroying the land, or the grasshoppers were right there about to take over, God calls out, even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord, your God. He's calling out, return to me. Even now, though I have called upon your destruction, even though it's imminent, I'm asking you to tear your heart, to get right before me, to, to do what I've asked you to do. Be intimate with me. Know me, cry out to me, and follow my heart. It's not so much about rules that God is looking for. It's about the heart. Will you be my light? He didn't write all the Ten Commandments and all the other rules and sacrifices and all the ways to be pure before him because he was some malicious God. He did it because he wanted a relationship with his people. He wanted to know that you're willing to follow me. He wasn't so concerned about crossing every T and dotting every I. No, he just wanted their hearts. It's not sacrifices he's looking for. It's not burnt offerings. It's not following the laws. It's are you willing to put me on the throne of your life and follow me? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Follow me. And listen to what he would do, even. Though it seems like destruction was imminent, if they did this, here's what God would do. For he is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him so you can offer grain and wine to the Lord your God. He is gracious. He would give them what they didn't deserve, which was forgiveness. They didn't deserve it. He would give them compassion and mercy, not giving them what they did deserve, which was destruction. He would be slow to anger, and he would relent, even though they were about to be destroyed. He'd be like, nope, boom, grasshoppers, you're gone. Army, you're wiped out. My people are back. You get out of here. They're okay. He reached out over and over. If you read the Old Testament, you read especially in Kings and Chronicles and Samuel. You read in these historical books how many times God reached out to his people. And then in the prophetic books, God reaches out and warns them and says, Please, please come back to me. He's slow to anger. He's abounding. Instead, past love, his love never ends for his people. We'll talk about that next week. But God's love has not ceased for his nation, Israel, even today. He still loves his chosen people. We are just grafted in to those chosen people. Now. And so he's reaching out. He was waiting for Israel to repent then what follows is beautiful verse 18 we'll just jump down to there then the lord became jealous for his land and spared his people something happened right they turned back to him they relented they repented they came back to their true love they stopped going after what was evil And destructive and terrible in God's eyes, unholy, worshiping false gods, sacrificing their children, not loving the widows and the orphans like they were supposed to do, not loving the sojourners that were that were wandering through the land and not being taken care of. They turned back. They were being a light to the nations once again, and so God, once again, became jealous for his land. Maybe they didn't. We really don't know. What God did, or well, what they did, but we know what God did, right? He became jealous for his people again. He looked down upon them. There was somebody there interceding for his people, saying, "God, just wait. I'm your servant, and I love you, and I know how much you love your people. See us again." And he became jealous, and then. He looks down on the land, and he restores the land. He takes the people that were about to destroy him or the grasshoppers that were about to destroy him, and he says, get out of here. And then in verse 25, listen to this beautiful proclamation of God. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust ate, the young locust, the destroying locust, and the devouring locust, the four waves that came in. I will repay you for the years. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord your God. Talk about a turn of events. They could only see destruction. There was no joy left. In fact, in in the chapter before, it says that there will be no joy left in the land. But God, in his great love, turned back and said, you will praise the name of the Lord your God there would be joy established. Some people need to hear that today. You might be in the middle of darkness, the darkest time of your life. God sees you there. He sees you there. And he wants to restore the joy that the locusts of your life have taken. He wants to, God just, restore it. He wants to repay it with interest attached. Because that's how God is. His, his love is overflowing and abounding so much so that you can't contain it. Jesus' is right there. Will repay. You will know that I am present in Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people will never again be put They would be a light to the nations again. And they did. But yet again, if you continue reading in 2 Kings, it becomes very apparent that it didn't last long. They went back to their evil ways. A terrible king would rise up again, and they would follow the leadership of that terrible king. And ultimately, it would go down and up and down and up. decades, centuries, until finally God had enough. And we will read this again next week. But then Jesus came, and he opened up the way to the Father, not through following laws or commands, sacrificial systems, but through the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, and him crucified, resurrected, and sitting, standing at the right hand. We have access to God now. And he looks down upon the world. And it's as if Joel was seeing this with his own eyes. And he just, he couldn't quite put all the pieces together. Because he he looks to that time when he would restore the nation of Israel. But he would include others. He didn't see Jesus Christ, but he saw the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, there would be a day when God would pour out his Spirit again, not just on the people of Israel, but on all people. One of the most powerful passages in the Old Testament, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And this is brought up again in Peter's proclamation on the day of Pentecost to those who are questioning the power of the Holy Spirit released upon the people. Before we get to that, let's just read the original words of Joel himself. After this, after Israel was restored and came back to God, and he restored what the swarming locusts and all the other locusts had eaten, when he had restored the land and sent the nation, the other nation that was attacking him, whatever it was, when he brought peace to the land again, there would be the ultimate destruction. But after this, there will be a time. He didn't see the details, but there would be a time. Of course, we know this is after Jesus had been raised up from the dead, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He will pour out the Spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. Your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my Spirit on male and female servants in those days. Fool! Like, Okay. You're talking about females here. You're talking about slaves here. You're talking about people who were not true Israelites now because there was no slaves in the time of Israel, right? Like when God's people were there, they were not to enslave one another. Or if they were, they were supposed to release them after seven years, right? Like this was not something that was normal. He's going to pour out his spirit on all people. I will display wonders in heaven and on earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Right? He is talking about the end of times. The, the Spirit was going to come. Jesus would go to the Father. He would send his Spirit. Signs and wonders and miracles and all sorts of amazing things would be poured out. And then the day of the Lord would come. He would come down and take his people to be home with Him. Joel didn't understand all the details, but he saw that day. He gave hope to a people who would ultimately feel alone, without God, in a dark place, with no hope. He was given that hope. And even today, if you are in the darkness of a dark time, God gives you hope that he's going to send his spirit. He's going to give you dreams. He's going to give you visions. He's going to give you power. Though your situation may not change, we still live in a dark world just like Israel did, right? Like people always say, oh, the world is just this terrible place, and there's so much evil, and the laws are passing. Can you believe it? Oh, this is horrible. Well, Joel was written in a time when a mother was wiping out her entire lineage, so that she could retain power, so she could have these false images being worshipped. Like, it was pretty bad. I don't think we have it any worse now than we did then, right? Like, read the Old Testament. It's crazy. It was dark. It's been dark times. We just don't have an ability to see history because we weren't there. We hear of it. We read of it. It's just not as real as when you're living it. I'm not saying we don't live in sad times. Just remember that God is with you. His power is with you. He poured out his spirit. He wants you to see visions and dreams and have power from on high to be his light, just like Israel. That power is here. Israel didn't have that power, but you do we have that power we have that power it's a beautiful thing listen to how peter put it in acts 2 verses 32 and 33 after he says quoting this this time of his restoration prophet or bringing up the prophecy of joel he says god raised jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this Now he is exalted to the place of the highest honor in heaven at God's right hand of the Father as he has promised. Gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see in here today. If you have repented just like Israel did. If you have repented and turned from your ways and turned to God, he now gives you access to the Holy Spirit where they didn't have that. You have that access. That access, have the power from on high. You have that access. God will redeem your past, just like He did with Israel. Now, I said before, He might not take back everything that you've done. Like there's consequences sometimes to the things we've done. There are situations we put ourselves in that God might not take us out of. Right some commitments that we've made, some obligations that we have that just don't get erased because we come into the family of God and we have repented of our sins and our bad things. There are some situations where we've made our bed, and sometimes God in his mercy does change that miraculously. I mean, it is a miracle, right? I can think of a lot of examples, and I don't want to give any examples because I'm not here to to make anybody feel terrible for the mistakes that they've made and the bed that they've made, that they can't change. God can heal. But sometimes those things that we've done are there. But he wants to redeem it. That's the beautiful thing about God. Though the past may not be able to change, the circumstances you're in might not change, he can redeem it. That's what Romans 8.28 is all about. He wants to redeem. Turn all things to good for those who follow him. Why? So that the kingdom of God can spread, the, the light of Jesus can reach all places. He wants to redeem that past and bring light to all the dark places. You see, when he brings that light to your past, it can't stay there. Darkness cannot stay where there's light. So he comes in and he pushes it out He says, it's all me. You have freedom. Man. You have freedom. And he wants to redeem your past. He wants to redeem your past, and he wants to redeem your future. It's good. Oh. It's one thing to redeem your past and turn things to good. But to redeem your future, to give you hope again, right? Like, go back to the beginning, how I started. Just speaking for myself, when I entered into this thing called ministry, I had an idea of who I could be and what I could accomplish, how big of a church we could have—not so much, you know, size and numbers-wise, but the impact of how we could reach our community and how the lives could change. It didn't take very long to realize that I'm having a hard time impacting the people in my church family let alone the world outside. It's not me that changes people, it's God. And and though I understand that and appreciate that, I've had to live in the failure of the fact that I'm struggling to maintain health inside the church, let alone reach a world that is desperately in need of a Savior. And all those dreams I had of being a, a healthy church that has all the roles filled, right? And it does take numbers to do that. And that's where it gets complicated because people talk, oh, we, we don't want to talk about numbers. Well, in order to have a healthy organization, you have to have numbers in order to do the things that are required to reach this world. You need to have leaders in certain areas. You need to have people that are underneath them serving so that those areas can be healthy and reaching the people that are there and reaching the people that aren't there. It takes a lot of people to do the work of the ministry. And when that's not there, you can go into a dark place. And I am still working on getting out of there. And that's where the beauty that God redeems the past. All those hard things, all those failures, all those disappointments, all the people you feel like you've let down, negative self-image. God wants to redeem that. And he wants to redeem your future, which you've lost hope for. That dream that God put in your heart, it's not gone. If it was a God dream, that dream is still there, right? God doesn't change. His dream for you remains. He wants to bring that dream back. He wants to redeem the future. He wants to redeem, redeem that dream. Let that sit for a second. What dream does he want to redeem? redeem. Max Lucado said this. He said, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. So today, just take a deep breath. Joel 2 reminds us that even in the midst of the darkness, right, Israel was in the middle of being invaded. God looks down and says, I'm not done with you yet. I want to snatch you out of this darkness. I want to redeem you. All of that stuff that you've done in the past, I want to make it right. I want to you cause it for good. I want to use it to establish your health. Emotional, physical, spiritual, relational. I want to redeem it. I want to redeem you. I want to make you whole. Come alive. And I want you to dream again. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here for you today waiting for you to receive it. It's in your hands. Right? Take some time today. Dream again. But remember, you need to repent. It starts there. If you haven't asked Jesus to be the Savior, the one who forgives you of all your sins, and Put him as Lord of your life, the one who sits at the seat of the throne of your life, and you say, I follow you. I know you want the best for me. I'm going to give you my life. I'm following after you. If you haven't done that, today's the day. Simply say, God, I'm messed up. I need your forgiveness. I can't be in your presence without that forgiveness of Jesus' blood pouring out over me so I can be seen in the light of Jesus Christ. I need to do that. Do that today. Make him your Savior and Lord. And then for the rest of us, simply put, we need to repent of some things in our lives. Every single person. We're not perfect yet. We never will be. But that's not the point. We want God to have our heart. And every day, we need to repent of the things that get between us and Him and focus on allowing Him to redeem us. Make us new. Focus on the good around us. (laughs) Don't dwell on the negative. But remember, you can do nothing without him. Follow his steps. Spend time with him. Seek him and obey him. He will help you to dream again. Dream again. Dream Father, I pray that you will pour out your spirit right now, just like you prophesied in Joel. Help your people to dream again, to see again, to hope again, to believe again, you are so good. And I know that no matter how dark it gets, your light will never stop shining. And wherever your light shines, darkness flees. Though it will continue to try to press in and drown you out, if we continue to press into you, that light cannot be extinguished. And I pray that over every person listening today. In Jesus' name, Thank you for joining us today. And I am so excited for our last message in our series that we'll have next week. I hope you can come back and listen. See you soon.